Welcome to the UK Consult Weekly Podcast with Jonathan Bradley and Elton Daddo, engagement practitioners and general consultation superheroes at Bang the Table in the UK. Hello and welcome to Jono and Elk's weekly ramble through all things online community engagement and public consultation. It's week 28, we had a week off last week, but we were building up towards a very, very special guest appearance this week. How excited are you on a scale of one to ten, Jono? Oh, you know what? Can you? It's like The Apprentice when they're, they're going to give something 110%. So I'm like, I'm over ten. You're over, yeah, you're in the 12s, 20s, yeah. maybe even 100. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm up there as well. Might upset some of our listeners who are like sticklers for, you can't be over 10. It's a rating scale. Don't do that. <laughs> 100% is the maximum and no more can be achieved ever. So Correct. there you go. <laughs> now, our special guest this week is a social researcher specialising in public and stakeholder engagement with a passion for inclusive and asset-based practices. She's a project management graduate with a community arts background and knowledge of social care, mental health policy and practice, which will excite you, Jono, experienced in facilitating deliberation on challenging topics with vulnerable and seldom heard groups. You probably have already guessed who the special guest is. And it is, of course, Chloe Juliet from Ipsos Mori. A very warm welcome to the world famous UK Consult podcast, Chloe. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. That was <laughs> now, quite the introduction. <laughs> it was, yeah. And it was taken from your LinkedIn. So I hope it was accurate. Um, <laughs> if you haven't updated it for like 10 years and you're doing something completely different, just shout now. That you're in sports management or something like that. Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate enough. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, we understand that you're a, a bit of a podcast or UK consult, more specifically, um, super fan of ours. Is that correct? I absolutely am. The um, Not Another Survey podcast was, was life changing. <laughs> life changing in so many ways. We, we touched so many people with it. <laughs> no, I, I, I was very impressed with that podcast. It really spoke to me. Oh, cool. Makes me nervous that there are consequences of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> direct consequences. Usually disciplinary action by HR is the most direct consequence that we have. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but we're going to be very, very polite today, and it's an absolute pleasure to to have, have you on. Um, do you want to just give us a bit of a background then, beyond obviously what I what I read from your LinkedIn profile, about what you do and your role within Ipsos Mori? Uh, yes, uh, I, I mean I should probably update my LinkedIn profile a little bit. Um, that is rough. That is roughly accurate. I suppose what I do at Ipsos Mori is I've I've gone into kind of specialising in uh, deliberative engagement. So I, I sit in the dialogue team. I also sit in the health and social care policy team. But I'm very much in the cross-cutting deliberation team. So I've been working on climate change things and and all kinds of things outside of my kind of policy area, which is great. And I also have picked up a role in working on kind of behaviour change, which has been a really interesting and useful addition to the kind of deliberative skill set and being able to add another layer in of kind of analysis and another lens to view the world through. So that's been very cool to learn about since I joined. Really cool. Yeah. Before we go into a little bit more detail about um, some of the focus areas of your work, um, when was the last time you had a substantial meal out? 
a substantial meal out? <laughs> As in outside of the house or ordering? It's outside of the house. No, no, no. I mean, I'm sure you have lots of substantial meals indoors. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like sitting on a park bench. <laughs> Full English. <laughs> um, it's like apparently a pasty on its own is not a substantial meal. If you go to a, a pub where they have to serve um, beer and wine, for example, with a substantial meal, a pasty on its own doesn't count. That's interesting. I saw an article that said that a scotch egg would count if it was, you know, robust. Really? Yeah. yeah. I thought you had to have chips and salad with your pasty. Mm. Yeah, because there's no vegetable element to a scotch egg, is there? And that's normal. <laughs> No salad or vegetable element, it's just meat, eggs and <laughs> batter or whatever it is on the outside, if you're up north. Much like a pasty, it is a meal in one, isn't it? That's the point. Yeah. So if you had several of them on a plate, that would feel justified. <laughs> Multiple scotch eggs. <laughs> yeah. Like just one scotch egg in your hand doesn't feel robust enough to justify then drinking six pints. But if no. you've had eight <laughs> on a plate, I think you're, you're all right, aren't you? I mean, that sounds quite arduous. I'd almost want something else if it got to that stage. It is right, rather substantial as well. There's almost a feeling that there has been a lack of public engagement in the concept of a substantial meal. <laughs> there has been no consultation on it at all. I mean, the only, the best consultation that I saw around it was when a brewery came out with that um, ale called Substantial Meal. And that was brilliant because that was a perfect loophole for people to be able to say, well, I'm going to a wet pub, but they're serving me a substantial meal. And technically they're right, aren't they? Even though it's just a beer. Yeah. That's true. I mean, would Guinness count? <gasps> oh, everyone yeah, knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could do. It's just a loophole in its own right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we digressed away from the fantastic work that you're doing at Ipsos Mori. And we were really interested to read, and I know that is something that Jono circulated to me as well, your um, Towards Innovation in Online Public Deliberation, which we've read through. And we'll put it up in the blurb so that people can have a read and then download the full report. Do you want to give us a little bit more of an overview of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, it feels like almost a lifetime ago that we did that now, but it was it was so cool. It was one of the easily one of the best projects I think I've ever done. Around June, I think we we actually did the workshop. Um, we basically got a bunch of people together who work, you know, work in our bit of the world, um, consultation and deliberation, mainly kind of deliberative people. Um, but we also brought in a bunch of people who are kind of grassroots organisers and um, people who work in uh, tech, people who work in the arts, um, people who work in gaming. We were lucky enough to have people from like Fortnite and Google there. And we just basically wanted to get people together from from across industries and, and do some some learning and some sharing around what online deliberation could look like. Um, so we did we did one workshop with I think sort of 20 to 25 people. We used Miro, which was interesting. And yeah, basically we, we worked to a brief. We had a, we had a chat about the kind of the positives about working online. One of the, the really key reasons that we, we wanted to do this was that when we went into lockdown and deliberations had to be moved online, people very quickly focused on and rightly 
focused on what was lost, you know, like digital exclusion and and who's no longer in the room and everything you kind of lose that you get when you're face to face. And there was a real kind of sector wide focus on loss. We just couldn't stop thinking about all the things that we could gain as well. And like actually people who wouldn't come face to face might might come now because it's online. It's more convenient. People, Some people are more comfortable online. And actually, there's this there's this whole world of things we could be doing that we probably haven't even thought about. So let's get some people together who don't live in deliberation and dialogue world and don't live in social research world and and ask them about their experiences of engaging people online. See what we could learn. So that was the premise, really. Bit of a ramble. I'm sure the introduction of what is better. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really good. Oh, gosh. I mean, I've you know, I mean, there's so many learning points in there, I think. If you could give us a summary, kinds of what were the main recommendations that came out of it? I mean, I've got them in front of me, but um, I hear it from you. <laughs> Excellent. Let's see if I hit everything on your checklist. <laughs> so, I mean, we, the thing that probably stood out to me the most was that people really, really focused on. Uh, the, the human design elements of things. We thought that people would kind of focus more on tech and particular platforms and particular, like you know, innovative, interesting things that you could do with these platforms. But actually, people were really, really focused on it's got to be person-centered design. It's got to be about how how you how you sell this stuff to people. You've got to make it valuable for them. It's got to be an opportunity that's more than just you know incentivize them with a bit of a bit of money. There were a lot of benefits that I think really came out of that discussion. There's a lot of opportunities for things to just be more sort of participant-led. Um, so rather than kind of bringing in a, a policy discussion, getting some people together to have a deliberative uh, engagement of you know 100 people in a in a church hall or, or or online or whatever it is, actually there's an opportunity to be led by what they think. So you can have these kind of much, much bigger scale. I think scale was a thing that really excited me and quite a few other people. You can get much yeah. bigger scale online and it's it's more convenient for people. There's less burden. You can do asynchronous um, engagement. You don't have to have everybody there all at the same time. And people can lead the discussion and really take it off in their own direction um, without moderators needing to to guide the discussion or trying to keep people to time. We're always restricted by time in terms of how far we can go down any rabbit hole that isn't particularly on topic. So I think those those are the really big things were just those opportunities to to make things much bigger scale um, and be led by people. There was a bit of discussion around which uh, which really excited me about actually empowering communities to do their own kind of peer led deliberations and then having a hub where people could come back into that, um, which I think speaks to this kind of power shift that a lot of people working in deliver are very interested in and, and want to see. Um, that actually if we, if we can make things bigger scale and, and let people kind of lead things themselves more that that power shift will become a little bit more of a reality yeah if we we're on the telly now I'd be jumping up and down I'd be so excited <laughs> yeah you're just doing it virtually <laughs> you know that whole scale thing isn't it you know it just it, it's amazing isn't it to think about that it's almost like a holy grail isn't it of deliberation at scale you know, so instead of these, instead of lots of citizens assemblies, just having these, you know, mass participation. As we slowly, as we go down that route, I'm just like, yes, finally, that you know, de- deliberative engagement has has arrived. You know, yes. it, makes, it makes me feel that way. 
and, and also like pick what you the whole participant led sort of thing i really got that as well the design thinking um and it really made me think about um i think it was um, from the event but it was this concept of on the couch engagement you know where yeah. this has got to be something that somebody does when they just sit on their couch yeah and, and i i really i i took that away i've mentioned that quite a lot to you know, yeah, you have on on this podcast as well. On, yeah, you podcast. Know, couch engagement. We've started to talk a lot about that with um, prospective and, and current clients as well, and they can really see the value in that. Um, even if people are attending face-to-face meetings, it doesn't mean that when they leave that meeting room, they don't want to be involved anymore. So they've still got the opportunity to do both. Like, it, well, when we move to the whatever the new normal looks like, and people can go face to face again, but they can engage on more than one occasion than you know being two hours in a meeting room, and they've still got the opportunity to share ideas and discuss things with each other as as well, like beyond the scope of of that meeting. Yeah, absolutely. We we always talk about how much. Um, excitement and you know to, to use a, a terribly dull research term social capital is is kind of generated through these kind of engagements people you know they, they often don't feel heard in this way and, and have the opportunity to, to speak to people they've never met with different opinions and people people get a lot out of that and I think they do want to engage much further than than what we ask for not everybody there's the ladder of engagement of course always but there's plenty yeah. of people that, that do want to engage further and that's very much where where I'm at Elton it's similar thinking is eventually this lockdown will be over and I really don't want to go back to how it was before I think that we can really use the best of both worlds and that there should be a mixed approach of online and face-to-face yeah I mean it's something we've spoken about in education for years which is obviously my background around blended learning and it has so many benefits having a mixture of such kind of some of the face-to-face learning um, alongside some of the online delivery as well and it's going to be very much on um, sort of blended approaches to engagement moving forward as well obviously a lot of um, industries and sectors have had to really accelerate their digital strategy way quicker than they a thought they were ready to or b probably wanted to um, but they're now seeing actually, oh, we should have done this quite a long time ago and then move back to a blended approach when those face to face things are possible as well. Yeah, absolutely. Exciting times. Exciting. <laughs> it's made us all think about it a bit more, hasn't it? Because I started looking at this from a different angle in terms of what is the likelihood of some, somebody speaking up at a public meeting or, or, or speaking up publicly? I was comparing that with people that might not have great great access to digital platforms so they might you know so the whole digital exclusion side of things and that and actually when i started to look at the the, the sort of the psychology of participation you, it's almost i can't remember the exact sentences i have got them we can maybe put them in the blurb but you know like uh, the majority of people are are actually petrified of speaking up in a face-to-face meeting situation it, it you know completely yeah. It's it's massively higher than the percentage of people who are not able to participate online. But we've never really looked at it that way because we've never had to. And so there is a big sort. So there's a big benefit of this online methodology and blended methodologies in that it actually does. You know, there are many more. There are many people who are more comfortable about actually speaking up and having their say online. And, and some people are actually petrified, properly petrified, of speaking up in a meeting. That's something that I've never really thought about before before we start to have this debate more openly about the the pros and cons of of the different approaches. Yeah, that's definitely something I've seen demonstrated. So we we recently did a project for um, King's College London um, 
around kind of what, what to do if there, if there isn't enough uh, resource to go around, if, the, if there aren't enough um, ICU beds um, in a second wave of COVID. Like how, how are we going to prioritise, which is an incredibly tough yeah. subject um, for people to talk about. And it was divisive um, and it was emotional for people. And I, we had a lot of feedback that said, you know, if I'd done this face to face, I just wouldn't have been able to be that honest with people sitting next to me, looking at me while I was saying these really hard words. Um, and that that really there's so much value in, in doing things online so that people are comfortable in their own home. They don't they don't have that kind of social pressure of having somebody in front of them. Um, I'd, be, I'd be really interested to, to read the things that you've read. So I've not seen it documented. It's all kind of observations. That would be very cool. Oh, John, I will have to go to his lockup and he'll send you loads of leather bound files. Amazing. <laughs> all sorts of things. And a mug, obviously. Excellent. <laughs> I, I've got a lockup and Elton finds it quite amusing. <laughs> I'm I mean, I bound now. Well, I think more people are going to have lockups because if we work from home more, we, we end up accumulating stuff from work that we probably wouldn't normally have in our home. So the yeah. lockup is an ideal place for it. Mm. Yeah, it's just when you sent the photo through and it was like that archetypal. Yeah. Just Yeah, it just looks quite sort of rough and ready, like hidden away in the bush. <laughs> it's just really odd. Chloe, one of the other things is... Um, Lots of people involved online in in-depth deliberation creates a lot of qualitative data. And mm. I think, is, is that the next place where we're going to have to put a lot of attention and, and get it to work better? Uh, what, yeah. what are you doing on that? Is it on your mind or? Yeah, it's definitely on my mind. Uh, yeah, you're right. The, the, the key issue with going at scale with Delib is how are we going to analyze that? I mean, one of the most promising things is AI. Um, you know, processing power is not just steadily getting better. It's coming on leaps and bounds incredibly quickly. And actually, AI is just becoming more and more plausible as a tool. Um, and I think that will be available quicker than we think. And um, there is something being experimented with, which uh, the report references to. I mean, I'd, I'd recommend reading the report, but I'd really recommend just looking around the references. So I had such a, a ball for like three or four days just walking around the internet, gathering yeah. anything and everything that people were doing that was interesting around around this kind of online delib space. People are experimenting with um, like an AI moderator um i think we just we need to ramp up and look at kind of how we can do analysis in a in a sensible way that i, I imagine we'll, we'll draw on kind of analytics that you use to kind of look at social media and, and understand what people are saying there we can probably use this similar kind of analytics tool but yeah that definitely needs that's one of the big areas that needs to needs a prod if we're going to do this properly yeah um, we're certainly looking at, at that as well um i i I went. I attended a, another virtual event somewhere, and I think it was the one of the big deliberation public engagement exercises in Madrid, where they had 500,000 comments or contributions or something like that, and they were all qualitative, and they cracked it. I don't know how they did it. I haven't looked at it. I haven't followed it up, but it's like, yeah, great, bring it on. You know, amazing. Let's have a look at what they did and uh, do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a very surprising thing from the from the workshop is, is people were very much as like, oh, we've, we've got everything we need. 
it's, it's solved. It's just it's just how we use it. I suppose the only tension that came out around that is it's cost. It's not that we don't have the resource to do things. It's it's the cost, particularly when you know. I mean, I I, I work in public affairs. Everything I do is with the, the kind of the public sector rather than. The private sector and you know one of the brilliant things about working at Ipsos is that, like the the private sector pummel a load of money and so we can develop these amazing tools around behavior change and then I can go oh cool can I just use that for this yeah. council brilliant thank you and I think expectations are very high in the public of of digital engagement because they have these enormous private sector companies giving them amazing experiences um that I, I think the the real thing we're going to struggle with is just that the public sector don't have that kind of money and, and they'd there would have to be a, a significant rewrite of how we structure society and our narratives and what's acceptable for them to start spending that kind of money to give people the experiences they want online i think that's where a really really key tension is going to be going forward yeah because the other side the, i'm not sure if this part this might be part of what you meant i'm not sure but um, what's also on my mind is people that aren't very good at using the internet so it's not they can't afford to so the sort of div- digital poverty side mm-hmm. and then well they're not they're not they're just not that good at it so the, the, so the digital literacy because access internet access is i think it reached 97 percent i think or something i had a look the other week um access to the internet but but it's this whole. So now our minds are open to well, okay, great, you've got the internet, but can you? Are you actually good enough? Can you? Can you use it well enough? Yeah. Or can you afford to engage online. So it's data, you know, data versus food. I'm not, you know, for me that is, you know, that's also a massive big part of this. Yeah, I think you're right. Digital literacy. I mean, yeah, I think it is around um, 97. It's incredibly high. Um, how many people have access to the internet now, um, even compared to not that long ago? But it, it's this digital literacy point that we we come up against a lot now that we've moved online. Even just using kind of video platforms is is a real jump for a lot of people and, and takes a lot of coaching and a lot of time. Like an, anything we save on venue costs are doubled with tech support costs. Yeah, yeah. But there's I, th- I think that again speaks to this this need that like you know the platforms that we're using need to be really really user friendly and really easy for people to to get their heads round, um, which is often in direct opposition of of what's safe GDPR wise. I, I tend to find the the most the most say I'm not going to name any, but the most safe <laughs> platforms GDPR wise, um, apart from you guys obviously, yeah. but a lot of the time. These platforms that are, that are safe GDPR wise tend to be really clink, clunky and and not much fun to use, um, and some of the most fun platforms are a GDPR nightmare. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something we've seen as well because um, we're going to be launching some sites in the Republic of Ireland, and post Brexit at the end of December, um, we need to have a server in a in a um, EU member state, which obviously UK will not be. So that's uh, that's posed another challenge. But as you say, the importance of that GDPR compliance, both now and obviously next year, if we're um, looking at European clients and things like that as well, and Republic of Ireland obviously included as a member state, that's going to be of vital importance as well. Is GDPR one of those sort of like grumpy moments when we all have to leave the room? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a grumpy moment for you. <laughs> oh, oh i spend so much of my life talking about gdpr it's just it's just painful and the thing data apathy 
is massively on the rise in the public as well. Like they don't care. Like we spend so much of our time talking about it and figuring it out, and the public are just like, oh, just Facebook. I've got everything. I don't care. Take me on. <laughs> yeah, I've given up. I've just yeah. just have it. Have everything about me. <laughs> just take the lot. <laughs> take the lot. <laughs> and I don't want any change. <laughs> um, um, what are you? sort of working on at this point in time then looking ahead to the future what sort of trends do you think we might see we've touched on some of this already but in, um, looking ahead to 2021 obviously it depends on a lot of things but yeah what sorts what sorts of things are you working on at the moment and looking ahead to next year I mean, we're definitely looking to try and experiment more like we you know a kind, a kind almost like a, a call out in our in our report was very much like we we want to experiment with some of the things that came out of that workshop you know like put, putting people in control more enabling communities to self-organize um you know making making more use of of art and just thinking a bit more creatively yeah uh, and we really want and this is the really key thing is we want lots of people to do this and for us all to keep talking to each other and sharing learning it's in all of our interests to make this better for make it easier for society to engage with this stuff yeah so I think that's our main goal is to just try and experiment with some of these things but keep these relationships going and and keep an open discussion going around how we can be innovative and and move this this kind of area forward in terms of trends um, I'm I'm not in the trends and futures team but I I had a quick glance um, at some of their work and managed to grab a coffee with one of them yesterday Um, and I think Something that really stood out from what they told me about their analysis um, was just that values take a really long time to change. And as much as behaviour has changed radically since lockdown, values aren't really budging much, which is quite normal. Um, So it might feel like everything's going to be completely different on the other side. But I I think that that's a, a, a false assumption. Um, that we should be wary of it's an opportunity to change things but people haven't probably changed as much as we like to think they have yeah do you think that's just on that note do you think that's because the behavioral changes have been forced on people whereas obviously a values change over a period of time would be a much slower burner I'd, I'd imagine yeah absolutely I mean environmental factors are enormous in behavior change like if you can't do something anymore you won't you can't yeah um, and it just it forces your hand in a way that, you know, it, behavior change that comes from more internal stuff like um, you know motivation, self-efficacy, that kind of stuff that that takes much longer to develop. Um, and some of that is values based and, and values take a, a really long time to shift. I think uh, most yeah. of what we've seen is because the environment has, has forced our hand. And I'll, I'll be really interested to see what happens when lockdown ends how quickly we snap back and how many people push forward and yeah fascinating time to be alive and a researcher <laughs> yeah well yeah absolutely yeah. you got anything to add to that Jono you're just he's so excited he's just taking it all in jumping up and down yes, still jumping up and down all on my own <laughs> banging on the floor your partner will be up and she'll be like what on earth is going on up here yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, what you said earlier about behavioural change and deliberation, that's something that I think is, do you, can you get, can you influence or understand behavioural change via lots of people having an in-depth discussion and debate together? (laughs) That's one of my favourite questions at the moment. So we've we've almost finished the uh, Brighton Climate Assembly report, and I think that's launching back end of 
January. Um, and that was my first kind of uh, opportunity and attempt at really putting a behavioural change lens on the analysis yeah. of a deliberation. Um, and I think I mainly did that because the, the assembly, whilst we were talking a great deal about intervention, so their, their focus was on transport emissions. So how do we change the transport system? Um, whilst we spent a lot of time talking about interventions and most of their recommendations were around interventions. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes. So their recommendations uh, really started to draw out a lot around communication. And um, their conversation started heading in a very comms kind of direction. You know, like you've got to frame it this way. You can't frame it that way. And so we got them to explicitly talk about that for a while and then put this kind of behavioural lens on, on on the analysis and kind of figured out quite a lot about what what drives them or what they, they think would drive people um, and how to frame communication around these kind of changes. Yeah. It was fascinating. And I think I really think that. The answer to your question is, yes, we definitely can find out more about behaviour by listening to people talk um, in the same way that you can kind of listen to a conversation and go, that speaks to that value. Maybe they haven't realised that what they're talking about is this value. You can do a similar kind of thing with behaviour and kind of draw out that well, if, if that's the main reason they wouldn't act in this way, um, then we can see that that's because there's a, an internalised motivation cause. For example, then you then you've got a set of pretty well grounded approaches to kind of head, heading that off and doing something about it. That's really interesting you should mention that because as you would probably know, we have a um, an engagement HQ site with with the council specifically looking at that around travel and transport as well. Um, yes, it's a really really good really good site and they're using things like the ideas board and newsfeed tools a lot of a lot of really positive images and things like that in there as well but yeah it's just really interesting to hear what you're saying and then see on the back of that the way in which they've approached that from a digital perspective as well mm. just um, going back to that Chloe, it, it, it does that mean that there might be a point in time where deliberative polling actually is used more for policy making than you than than what than what we might call now just your standard opinion poll so would it be could it ever be the case that politicians paid more paid more sort of like attention to what the deliberative poll was saying versus what your standard opinion poll was saying that's an interesting question well a standard research question uh, answer it depends uh-huh. um, <laughs> but I think my initial thoughts to that is it, I think there's val- there's a lot of value in both. I suppose the, the difficulty with a deliberative poll or any kind of reliance on deliberative engagement is that the rest of the public won't have gone on the same journey. So there's a huge comms effort you have to do, which is why I think this behavioural element is so valuable. So you can really kind of chart the journey that people have been on in their thinking to get them to the recommendations they've made that they may not have said in the first place. I would like to see a combination of both having never thought about this before I think there's a lot of value in seeing what people think without really having any information and then what people think when they've had a bit more bit more time to consider it yeah that would yeah. make a great sort of report wouldn't it mm. that would really be a bit of a, a bit of a googly for decision makers wouldn't it if the two were very different yes yeah I think it's just it's so important. Communication is just so important. It's not 
it's not just about making a policy decision. It's about how you bring people along with you and, and, and how you communicate. I think, I mean, I, before before I got into delivery, I, I was more in the sort of co-production bit of the world. So it still strikes me in delivery, but especially in co-pro, is, is this kind of the public or the, the service users that are engaging with the people who are trying to design the service end up humanising people they've never thought of as humans. They just see them as these kind of monolithic buildings who yes. have some things inside it and they make decisions on behalf of them. And actually, when they when they have conversations and they, they realise that somebody's human and somebody does sit down and go, actually, yeah, that policy was a, a bit of an error on our part. We were trying it this way because we thought this. And that kind of rapport that you can build up, I think that's almost more important than the policy itself sometimes, is humanising the people who are making those decisions and and explaining why those decisions have been taken like people don't actually respond that well to just being told what to do <laughs> um, <laughs> people want to know why um so i think that there's so much value in understanding these vast chasms between like actually a re- someone who's had a lot of information and has considered it thinks this but actually right at the beginning of their journey they thought this yeah. having an understanding of that will really help to inform communication and enabling people to kind of come along with the decision makers who are, who are bearing a, a pretty heavy burden especially at the moment yeah. yeah you can relate that to virtually any kind of walk of life can't you if you're put on the spot you know if you think about an interview scenario how many times do you go away and think oh if I'd had more time to think I'd have answered in this way you can relate it to a sporting situation if you have an extra 10 seconds on the ball you'll make a different pass so that deliberative element is is really really important that sort of applies to to everything doesn't it yeah now you strike me chloe as an extremely positive person who would never possibly have any sorts of grumpy <laughs> or meldry moments is that correct oh we all have to have meldry moments don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes John, I will be pleased. And I'm also pleased because he normally has a sort of 10 to 20 minute monologue at this point. But I'm hoping actually he'll have to narrow his down to maybe just one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. It makes me quite sad, which is eventually leads to grumpiness and a bit back and forth. But that people do focus on loss so much. There is so much to be gained by moving online and engaging people at scale like I'm so excited about engaging people at scale and and things just being more convenient for for people to participate in like that I think that's brilliant back to being grumpy before I get on my positivity train again (laughs) but I yeah I think it's I think it's a shame that people focus on the loss so much when there's so much positive stuff to be gained and I suppose my my side pet peeve is will everyone please stop using internet explorer (laughs) (laughs) yes that would be a good start it it reminds me on your first point as well about I always kind of come back to this I had a conversation obviously not going to name with whom it was but they said quite clearly to me even if there's one person who won't be able to engage online we're not doing it if there's one out of a million that can't do it then we're excluding that person therefore we're not interested in doing it at all yeah, I mean, I think because because we've been doing things for, in the same way for such a long time, I think people forget that we're already excluding people. Like there's, yeah. you know, there's people with, um, I mean, obvious things like physical disabilities, can't leave the house, all that kind of. But there's there's less obvious things like, as you said, a lot of people are just kind of shy and a bit nervous yeah. 
about coming coming to a place that they've never been to before and sitting in a room with 50 people they've never met to have a weird conversation in a church hall they've never been to and like it's a very odd social situation it's not odd to us because we do it all the time but it's really <laughs> odd for a lot of people and it's, it's much more comfortable for a lot of people to be online yeah. but we are we're already exclusionary like people with mental health strains and people with heavy lifestyles that can't just like go somewhere physical for a full day or a full weekend actually yeah. breaking it up and having two or three hour sessions on a few evenings over a few weeks is much more doable for them I think you exclude yeah. it's just where the circle of exclusion is isn't it so yeah. I think if, we, if we do if we do both things then we'll probably get closer to everyone yeah, rather than think, oh, there might be one person who can't, therefore let's do nothing. I've just done a lap of my home office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you've stopped jumping up and down. you started yeah. running now. just done a lap. You've done a full workout during the podcast. This is yeah. brilliant. It's great. Uh, you, you can have a substantial meal afterwards. <laughs> I'm tempting. <laughs> Although I'm doing the 16-hour the fast, so I can't eat until one. So or 12 or something like that oh um, 16 hour fast yeah you, you you stop eating i think like in the evening and then you don't eat until lunchtime um and apparently it sort of can burn fat and then also if you extend that fasting period it can actually um you lead to cell um, regeneration oh well i do an eight hour fast but that's just sleep so yeah, that's, that's not the that's same that. thing well, it's beneficial, but I don't think it has the same effect. Although you didn't know, you, neither of you knew this, but Jono, you've segued into my Meldrew moment oh. without knowing it. All right, you, you're going to go first. I, I'm going to go before you, yeah, because then and then you won't have enough time. I have to... only got one, Chloe, because I knew you. <laughs> but because you segued into it, I'll go first then. So I feel a bit like I'm doing a permanent fast because the size of crisps has reduced so dramatically over the years that first of all, I couldn't understand whether it's because I grew up and therefore the crisps looked smaller. <laughs> but they have, I'm gonna, I am gonna name them and other, other cheese-based corn snacks are available. Um, Watsits are the particular bugbear of mine, right? So you get a bag of Watsits, which is now each one is absolutely tiny, like the size of a peanut. Now that was never the case no, years no. ago. Plus the bag's half empty as well. So it's even less. But what's even worse, well, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> they now do giant Watsits, right? Just <laughs> It's just the same size what, that Watsits used to be, but they're branding them as giant Watsits oh. in a bigger bag. I think we're going to have to do a Twitter poll. I'm so annoyed about it. <laughs> so I now haven't. if I get the small bags, I have to eat two or three of them. Yeah. Have, um, have Monster Munch gone down the same route or do they have higher standards? They've got a bit smaller. They have got a bit smaller. I'm a bit concerned about it. <laughs> but, but anyway, Jono, what was your Mildred moment? See, you see how you segued into that? Because I feel oh, like I'm, I'm fasting when I eat a bag of crisps. I'm doubly grumpy now you brought that up because I'm, <laughs> I'm also pretty pretty certain that like, I don't eat meat anymore, but hamburgers have got smaller. I yeah. Remember, you know, I guess my mouth's got bigger, but I don't know. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Anyway, um, I like to buy the iPaper on a Saturday and then I read it all week. But other papers are available. And this week I got quite grumpy when I got to the Christmas presents section, because although it was meant to be joyful, I realised that we've all got everything we need and they're making up presents. And it was particularly oh. 
in the gadget section, right, just just to make something up that we really don't need, was a kettle that was linked to your phone. Oh. I don't need that. I don't need, I can just walk, I can stand near the kettle. Yeah. You should never watch it boil, but I don't need an app. And that really just made me grumpy. And then another one was coffee that comes with vitamins for an extra two pound when you can just buy coffee and a tub of vitamins. Yeah. It's a lot easier. (laughs) You don't want them all combined in in one. If you either want a caffeine hit or you want some vitamins, you can just take them. You know, they can be separated out and just have them when you want. Yeah. And how do you know the vitamins are even in there? Or are they evenly distributed as well? You might have one really vitamin-heavy spoonful and then... Yeah. Very grumpy about that. We need that. to look into this further. I'll send, you, I'll send you a photo of the page. It's very upsetting. <laughs> I'll include it in the blurb alongside the really important stuff that obviously we've been discussing with Chloe as well. So Charlie, yeah. so Charlie my 10-year-old, has just absolutely destroyed his list to Father Christmas. Just put a line through it all. <laughs> necessary. <laughs> Gadget. Massive red line, done with Plastic, it. Plastic, gadget, not not required. It's going to get a good old fashioned hard back book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is but what we funnel resource into when we could be we could be working on a, a more decent platforms for people to, to yeah. do cool stuff on. Yeah. Yeah, I think there should be um, food size and crisp size engagement and vitamin and coffee engagement online, and um, we should contact all of those. Um, companies and see if they they want to partake. Yes, I think that's next. Now, I'm not sure if we've got have we got time for a joke before we close. John, have you got a joke, Chloe? Oh, really? <laughs> Chloe, Chloe got one. Oh, I I don't. Oh. <laughs> it just wasn't a priority. <laughs> oh, well, no. Have you heard about the claustrophobic astronaut? She just needs a little space. See, this is this is why we shouldn't do this. We normally start with this section, Chloe. This is, this is how you want Are to you end pleased? the podcast. <laughs> Are you pleased that at least we left it to the end this time? You know, that's a bit of a compliment. But mine's no better, right? So I went to the optician yesterday for my annual checkup. He put the special glasses on me and said, what can you see? And I said, I can see empty airports, empty football stadiums, empty theatres, closed pubs and closed restaurants. And he said, that's perfect. You've got 2020 vision. Oh, oh. Like that. oh. <laughs> oh you, we've saved the podcast right at the end. Saved it. it, it saved, no, I think Chloe saved the podcast. I think we just slightly ruined it again towards the end. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. No, well, thank you so much, Chloe, unless you've got anything anything to add or any jokes have sprung to mind. But thank you so much for joining us. It's really, really good to catch up. And, and as we've mentioned, Jono mentions your polls virtually every week on the podcast. So it's good to have a super fan on. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll catch up um, next year to get an update on the things we've talked about today and our kind of predictions of how things are going to pan out. And it would be great to have another catch up with you and but obviously your colleagues and stuff as well. Um, anything you'd like to add before we close? Just thank you for inviting me. It's been it's been a blast. It's been a really nice way to to spend an hour. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Yeah, no one's ever said that before. It's fantastic. We'll we'll definitely keep that in. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much.
Chloe, really great stuff, really insightful and enjoyable. Oh, amazing. Yeah, keep in touch. Tell, tell me your thoughts. Send, send me interesting links to things. That would be ace. Will do. Thanks very much. And until next time. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the UK Consult. Join us for future conversations each week as we continue to explore the tremendous, meaningful and ever-evolving world of digital consultation and community engagement. You can view additional educational resources at bangthetable.com.